Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, listeners. This is Dr. Carol Francis coming to you from Make Life Happen. I have quite a treat for you today with Dr. David Kuroda. I'm sorry, it's Mr. Kuroda. It should be Dr. Shouldn't It, David, since you've been in the field for over 25 years. Is that correct? I have. That would be very nice, but uh, thank you. <laughs> Let me just introduce the topic first. Um, I would estimate that at least 60% of the families nowadays have already faced divorce or are facing divorces, and most of those families have children. And our society is now more a product of two families or a divided family. We're no longer in the ideal state, if that's what it was, of once having the typical single-family unit. There is going to be a different psychology to these children in terms of their relationships and their identity of themselves. And in part, that's because they have learned to negotiate a two-family system. But in part, it's also because many of those children have gone through the horrific, conflictual aspects of the divorce of their parents and the way the children are naturally become a part of that. In part, that's because the parents think they own the children and therefore they're, they're dividing the property of the time with the children. In part, that's because parents love their children and can't stand to be away from their children for the time that the other parent would have it. Or maybe they have disputes about how to raise their child, what's in the child's best interest. Even more seriously, if there has been child abuse or some sort of maltreatment of one parent toward a child, then, of course, that becomes another issue altogether. But the family courts are left with trying to deal with the most controversial aspects of Uh, divorce, and child custody. But for those families that don't have to go that route, David, you provide many alternatives for families to consider as they negotiate their way toward child custody in a more peaceful, positive manner where the children don't get destroyed. And that's why I'm so excited to have you here, David. It just sounded like that was your passion. Anything you'd like to add at this point on that? Well, certainly uh, we care about the children of of our country, and I think many, many more children are involved in their parents' divorce than almost any other problem that children face today. And whatever we can do to make their lives better is what uh, our goal is. That's beautiful. And your heart and your passion for children is what this program, this topic has been about and will be about as we approach it. Um, Just a little introduction to you, David. You were the former division chief of the Family Court Services in the Superior Court of Los Angeles, and you are known as uh, having directed a mediation and conciliation service that was the first and largest court mediation program in the nation. So bravo, and thank you so much for that. I could go on with a great deal of credit to your name, but I think that it really helps the listeners to know that you have helped families mediate this process. Over 7,000 families mediate this process and have even been recognized by having Special Lifetime Achievement Award in 2003 from the National Association of Social Workers as having contributed to the welfare of families by bringing a softer and gentle approach to all of this. So with that as your background, David, can you walk us down your passion for this topic? You're, you're on here. I want you to speak your heart's content about what you would like your listeners to know and what you'd like them to think about. Over the almost 30 years of my practice working with uh, divorcing families and children, I've, I've come to the, the belief that 
Divorce is not what hurts children. It's the way the parents get divorced. And what I've tried to do over all these years is to help parents realize that the way they conduct themselves during and after the divorce will make all the difference as well, differences in how their children adjust to, to life in general. Absolutely. You, in addition to going through the family court and doing the battle of child custody, which is going to be intensely difficult for children and parents, you also, in a wonderful article that you presented to the Family Law Symposium just May 9, 2009, mentioned that lawyers also go through a great deal of strain and stress. Uh, can you speak to that for just a moment as we segue into this process? You know, there are many, many lawyer jokes, and there are many divorce lawyer jokes, and I think divorce lawyers have, in some ways, earned their poor reputation, but in many ways, they, they are changing, and they really don't like to see children and families hurt in order to make a living. So there are, there are newer lawyers, and there are lawyers who are changing the way they practice to help families not fight each other, but work together and transition through the uh, a more collaborative process to get divorced in a way that doesn't hurt their children. You mention also in this great article that the ways of avoiding trial include mediation, collaborative practice, feedback sessions or settlement discussions, special masters or parenting plan coordinators, minors counsel, and therapeutic monitors. Can you address which ones you think are the easiest for certain families, the best to resort to out of that list of six different alternatives? I think certainly mediation would be one of the, the first choices and the first thoughts that uh, that parents should consider. Um, a number of therapists refer couples to me when they decide they can no longer remain married and they need to get divorced. So even before they retain lawyers and even before they start to to talk to their friends about what uh, attorney they should pick, uh, they come and meet with me and I talk to them about the different alternatives and the different benefits uh, of each way of getting divorced. And I think mediation, which involves both of them sitting down with a, a an objective third party and work out agreements regarding their children and their family together is, I think, the best and, and the most efficient way and best for children. How does collaborative practice fit into that? You know, in those cases, Carol, where the parents feel they need their own advocate, they need their own attorney, uh, collaborative practice offers a, a better alternative. In mediation, the two parents sit down with a mediator, usually without uh, their attorney's presence. And some of those cases where the where one parent may feel at a disadvantage and, and less able to assert their views and their positions, often in collaborative divorce where each parent has his or her own lawyer, uh, that often works out better because then there's a sense of balance and, and the necessary advocacy. So this is a kind of progression from if you're getting along well enough to try to resolve this with a mediator, do it that way. I'm assuming that those couples that get along well enough to not even have a mediator are solving everything on their own. They're coming up with their own schedule, their own adjustment to what's going on, or one parent has just abdicated to the other one. So there's no need to have a negotiated process. 
the negotiated process at collaborative practice, is that even more difficult, therefore, than mediation? It's not necessarily more difficult, but I think it's a different way of, of resolving things. There are many things that are resolved in, in four-way meetings with two lawyers and two parents. Uh, an enhancement of the collaborative practice model is collaborative divorce, mm. which is a process where parents not only have their attorneys representing them, they also have coaches and child specialists to assist them in, in getting through the the emotional aspects of divorce. And as you know, uh, the emotions often run very high when divorce is, uh, is changing a family. I believe that in your article, something that was closest to your heart was the use of of either the parenting plan coordinators or the therapeutic monitoring that really actually became a feedback to, to the parents about the child. I'm not clear about the division of that, but I know that when we spoke in person, can you speak to more about what in your mind is the best approach for child children adjusting to their parents and parents adjusting with their children? You know, it's amazing what little some parents understand about what their children experience about their divorce. It's It's really sad to hear sometimes that Parents explain very little to their children as they're getting divorced, and uh, one father recently just sent an email message to his to his wife saying um, he's leaving her, and left it up to her to explain to the children. And I've encouraged parents to both sit down with with their children and explain to the children that the divorce is happening between the mother and the father, and not between the parents and the child. Uh, so many children uh, blame themselves for the parents' uh, disagreements, their arguments, and ultimately the divorce, and that's really unfair to the children. Mm-hmm. Elaborating on that, um, yeah, as the parents, I, I'm a, when you talk so kindly about the parents sitting down level-headedly with their children, reassuring the children we love you, this isn't about you, this is about us, we're going to reconfigure the family. That sounds like that's a, a mature set of adults talking to children that they love and they're putting their children first. But my experience as a therapist is that maturity is often right outside the window. <laughs> I mean that not disrespectfully, I hope it didn't mm-hmm. sound like that. But um, would you like to say something to that? Well, you know, I think... For the most part, parents love their children and want to do what's best for them. But often when there are things like affairs, there are betrayals, there's emotional abuse, you know, the parent the parent gets angry. And unlike many attorneys who will tell a parent who is angry, you know, don't be angry, let's not talk about the emotions. You know, you need to to put a lid on that. The I think the effective approach that mental health professionals take is rather than telling people not to be angry is to ask about the anger and to explore the underlying causes and reasons for that anger. You know, there are many parents who have been hurt, who have felt betrayed, who felt rejected by a parent who says, you know, I I no longer want to be married to you. And it's, it's important that that parent have a chance to talk about the hurt, the anger, and the sense of rejection. 
Hmm. Especially with No Fault Divorce, that first um, became a California way of getting divorced in 1971. The story of the divorce is no longer relevant legally. And so parents really don't have a chance, certainly in the courtroom and with the judges and their lawyers, to talk about why the divorce is occurring and the hurts that they experience. And that's what I think is so important for for mental health professionals to offer. You mentioned, though, that coaching parents with their children has more of an impact on them being able to come to a better child custody arrangement. Can you describe that? There was a father that I was seeing as his coach who was very distraught about his divorce. Mm -hmm. And his wife was having an affair with her her coach, with her trainer. And he said to me, you know what, David, it's really hard for me. I just found out that not only am I losing my wife, I'm not going to have my children with me every day. They're only going to be with me at best half the time. Mm-hmm. We've got to sell our house. We we have to. I'm losing half of all of our our retirement funds, and my wife also is going to be getting half of my my 401ks. And and David, this is not a divorce that I wanted. And now she's asking not only for child support, but also for spousal support. You know, I I hate this, and I'm very unhappy with what's happening. Mm -hmm. After listening to that and conveying my, my being able to understand how hard it was for him, I said, you know, given all that, let's talk about the children. And I was able to help him navigate through all those difficult emotions. And he was able to reach the point of being willing to support his children because that's what he cared about the most. Because even though he was losing his wife, he was not losing his children. The experience for parents of having to cut down on their time to be with children. What what are you aware of? What helps parents through that? What helps a child through that? This is a this is a mournful, undesirable situation. How do you help? One of the ways that I help is to, depending on the parents, certainly with mothers, mothers often say, you know what, David, Bill was never involved. He was working. He was traveling. You know, he didn't see the children very much except on weekends. And now he wants joint custody. You know, why, why would I do that? Why would I give the children up to him that much of the time. And the fathers often will say, you know, I was working all those hours. That was what I thought our family needed. You know, we moved into a nice neighborhood. We have a nice house. But now that I'm losing my wife and our family as it was, I'm going to cut back on my work schedule. I'm going to be there for the children. And, you know, I realize that I don't have very, very many more years with them, so this is what I want to do. So I I help parents come to those agreements, recognizing the changes in how their families are. The compassion I hear in your voice, David, how many years did it take you to touch into that compassion? You started how many years ago, 25 years ago? I did. You know, I first became involved in divorce when my sister was going through a separation, and I realized 
that I saw firsthand how that was affecting uh, her children. And I, I then saw that in a way that I had never seen before, and that led me to, to working in this area. And, and for me, it's been one of the most important jobs that I've ever had, helping so many children involved in their parents' divorce. Wow, well, that's, that's beautiful. Can, I'm, I'm going to just quote from the article this one time. You have a subsection called The Child Specialist and the Coach. And you say the information from the child specialist is given to the persons who need it the most, the parents. And elsewhere in your article, you mention that when there is a monitor, uh, often it's more like a spy in the situation to make sure that the bad parent doesn't do any more bad and the good parent isn't accused of doing wrong falsely, that the whole situation is set up more like an FBI arrangement than actually coaching a parent to have a good relationship with a child and with the other child, parent to the child. Um, you also mentioned that these type of specialists don't get sued by the parents, um, whereas the child custody evaluators are more prone to doing that because of their situation. Can you address any of those dimensions of the child custody the situations you're recommending it? You know, child custody evaluators have a very important job, and what they do is when mediation and collaborative divorce are not able to help parents resolve their their differences regarding the parenting plan, the evaluator actually will interview the parents, the children, often the children at home um, in each of their parents' homes. And then at the end of the process, the evaluator actually makes a recommendation to the court. It often is a 100-page document taking many, many hours and costing sometimes as much as twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000. And those, those documents can be very hurtful to the families. Um, Why so? The, Why is that, Aaron? Because sometimes in order for a parent to gain a legal advantage and to prove himself or herself to be the better parent, um, often that parent will say very damaging things about the other parent. Okay. And those damaging, critical things that are said are then put in writing and become mm -hmm. part of the court record. And it's really unfortunate that, that two parents who at one time loved each other and had children together could be so angry with each other. Mm. And that's the limitation, and that's the challenge when there are child custody evaluations as opposed to mediation or having a child specialist in collaborative divorce help parents come to an agreement. Your proposal of having a child specialist um, would potentially preempt some of the reliance on child evaluators, or no? Well, you know, it's it's it happens early on, and so... The child specialist in collaborative divorce actually shares the impressions regarding what the children are experiencing, not with the judge, not with the court, not with the attorneys, but with the parents. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, one one example would be the the father tells the father tells me that the children really miss him and they want to be with him more. In fact, when he takes them home on Sunday nights. They're crying. They say, Daddy, can't we stay with you longer? Hmm. And yet, when they go home, the mother asks, well, how was it? And the children 
are critical of their time with the father, and they say to the mother, you know, we missed you, and we don't know why we have to see daddy so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the children want to please each of their parents, and they say mm-hmm. things to their parents that sometimes cause confusion for the parents. Oh, that's the point. Mm-hmm. The child specialist can then share that information with both parents and say, you know what, I think your children are really hurting, and they don't want to hurt either one of you, but they want they want a better relationship with both their fathers, their father and their mother. Uh, it does beg the question as to those circumstances, and I, 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 I from my point of view, 30 years working with children, children of divorce, parents that are divorcing, families that try to prevent divorce, 30 years of doing that, I see some success. I see a lot of tragedy and sorrow. I think that the trickiest cases for me and for child evaluators that I have worked with um, and even for minors counsel have been the inability to discern what is truthfully being said by either parent. And also, in light of what you're saying, what is the child's truth in the circumstance? And the child's truth in the circumstance, of course, can be have many dimensions to it, not just be one unilateral point of view. What, what is your impression on how the courts, evaluators, anybody working with families can discern the truth associated to the pivotal issues, such as child abuse, different types of abuses, parental alienation, estrangement, things of that sort that come up in the course of nasty child custody battles. Well, you know, in a recent case, in a recent case, the mother wanted a very restrictive order. There was a three-year-old daughter that was spending time with her father, and the child was coming back and was having bad dreams and was saying things that were very critical of the father. So she went to court asking that the father only have monitored visitation, which means only in the presence of another person could the child be with her father. And she wanted to reduce his time from three days during the week to only one day with a monitor present. The father was saying, you know, the child is happy with me. You know, she she's uh, well-adjusted. She's happy. He brings in photographs of a, a happy child with him. And the mother had asked for a child custody evaluation and restricted visitation. The judge, in her wisdom, said, you know what, before we do that, let's have you go and see David Corota for six times. Hmm. And he may want to talk to you separately sometimes together. But do you do that, and then you come back, and we'll see if you need to have the expensive and divisive child custody evaluation. So what I did was I met with each of the parents once, and I heard their story, and then I said, next time, you come and bring your daughter with you. So I saw the mother and the daughter, and then the father and the daughter. And from hearing the mother, I assumed that that session would go really well with her daughter, and it did. She brought toys, she brought snacks, and she clearly had a very good relationship with her daughter. The next week, the father was invited to bring his daughter with him. 
And I thought that that session was going to be very very telling because if the mother was correct in her assessment, I would have seen a very unhappy, clingy, uh, insecure child with her father. But when they walked in the door, she was in his arms. He was very quiet and very comforting with her. She she was reassured by his presence. And in less than five minutes, she was walked. She was on on the floor, on the carpet, playing with my toys and interacting very, very well with her father. So then I realized, you know, they both have a good relationship with her. So then the next session, what I did was to invite both parents and the child. And that was very, very revealing because the child was comfortable with both parents and going back and forth between her father and her mother and both parents, especially the father, uh, encouraged his daughter to be with the mother. And it was a pretty amazing experience. And the mother at that point realized she didn't need to worry about her daughter. And she would drop the request for the child custody evaluation as well as the request to reduce his time. So that was one way that we resolved what appeared to be two different stories, two different um views of the child's relationship with her parents. That's beautiful. And that, of course, is very different, I would assume, than if there actually had been child abuse or some sort of severe complication. That's My right. You can tell if, been, yeah. if a child's been very damaged or hurt. Uh huh. Um, I, I have this experience of meeting with families, and during my first few sessions I have one impression they will portray themselves from a very different point of view than as I get to know them. It's as if they are on their best behavior for a period of time, whatever period of time they're able to keep that intact. And then as we do the work together, I begin to see the erosion of how they present themselves. And the erosion is what gives me a feel as to what it's actually like to live within those family dynamics. What's your impression of the child custody situation or any situation where we as professionals enter into it as a circumstance, take a snapshot point of view, and then have to make some sort of evaluation or statement based on that snapshot. What is your experience of that? What's your feeling of how we can improve on that? I think the, the studies have all shown that it's not divorce that damages children. It's the way parents get divorced that's hurtful. And so when there is conflict and when parents aren't able to talk to each other or be in the same room or attend the same graduation or the same ball game, that's what's most damaging the children. So I think the more we can help parents realize that and work toward a better relationship, especially in front of their children, you know, the the children benefit and the parents benefit as well. Of course. (laughs) You are an eternal optimist. Is that right, David? I think I yes, I think to do this work one has to have hope and one has to to believe that things will get better. Beautiful. And you know, it's amazing uh how parents respond when I tell a, a parent, you know, you're you're a good mother, you're a good father. And and to tell them to not give up that things will get better. So a father, for example, who's 16-year-old son refuses to see him, refuses to talk to him, I tell that father, never give up. One of these days, 
your son is going to want to talk to you, and, and thank you for being his father. So I think hope is very, very important for parents as well as for those of us who help. Interesting. We have two minutes remaining. I'm very curious about the Elkins Task Force that you make reference to and also some uh, legislation that you said is trying to um, consider the value of auditing family court or to ban the use of a parental alienation syndrome. You have seen 25 years of family court system evolve from one way of doing things to many different attempts circumstances. I haven't given you much time to answer this question, but what is your feel on the way the family court system is going to evolve and manage some of the difficulties it faces and families face? The Elkins Task Force is a result of a lawsuit filed by a parent who was representing himself, that is, without an attorney. And more and more cases now, in fact, the vast majority of cases that are being heard in the family courts are by parents, by litigants who are acting as their own lawyers, in other words, who don't have uh, paid uh, attorneys. The courts are looking at ways to improve the process so that that the average person has more access to, to justice. The average person without an attorney can have the needs of uh, his or her children presented to the court in a way that will help the court. And my my recommendations have been to provide more services early on so mm -hmm. that cases are resolved earlier, people spend less money, and they spend less damaging litigation hurting their children. So that's overall, I think, what I'm trying to, to promote and to encourage and to recommend. How can our listeners get a hold of you? I have placed that on my, my site, but how can they get a hold of you? Well, my email address is dkuroda, D-K-U-R-O-D-A, at gmail.com, and my phone number is 310-540-9128. Thank you very, very much, David. Anything you'd like to say as a summary? I think there are many people who are, who are willing to curse the darkness, but I think what we need are more people, including parents, professionals, judges, lawyers, and mental health people, to say... You know, it's far better to light candles and to curse the darkness. Hmm. Interesting metaphor. Thank you so much, David. Really, really appreciate your time. I hope you'll join us again. Thank you very much, Dr. Francis. Talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye now.